20. So it's Pentecost Sunday. So we're talking about the Father's gift of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to make a couple clarifications before we look at the famous Acts passage. John chapter 20. Um, let's start with verse 19. Does somebody have that? I want to read it. John 20, 19 through 23. Okay, thank you. So this is one of those times after his resurrection, before his ascension, that Jesus shows up to the apostles, right? And he says, peace be with you, and he says it twice. Why do you think he did that or felt he needed to do that? Anybody? They really needed it. I think it's, it's as simple as that. He said peace, and then a minute later he said it again because they needed peace. They were not in peace right now. They were still in fear. They were still hiding. Okay, when Jesus got arrested, they all freaked out. They scattered. At the cross, none of the apostles are there. None of the disciples are there except John. John and the women. They had the guts to be at the foot of the cross. All the other dudes, hiding somewhere. Maybe they were in the back of the crowd, in like a burqa or something. Like, but they were afraid that they were going to get arrested and killed too. So they're afraid. And right after Jesus raises from the dead for the first time, um, I mean, not for the first time, the, the only time, but the first time he visits them, he finds them in a room behind a locked door, okay? So they're still hiding. They're still afraid that they're next. And now he comes to them, and they're still hiding, and they're still afraid, and he says, peace, because they really needed peace. They were bogged down with fear, and that's the heart of God towards us. He wants them to know that you can have peace. I know you ran away. I know you feel terrible about it and really guilty now that I'm standing here. But peace, you know, you're forgiven. And he mentions that at the end. You have the authority now to forgive just like I've forgiven you. And he does something very charismatic, to use a lack of a better term. Um, and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's kind of unusual, right? That's, that's, we have a passing of the peace uh, tradition in church. A lot of churches pass the peace. We don't usually breathe on each other. That would be weird. We would consider that strange, especially this time of year when half of us are fighting something. Um, so what is going on here? Why does Jesus do that? Any thoughts? This is verse 22. Mm-hmm. Yeah, proving that. And he, he proves it in a number of ways. He shows them his scars. Hey, this is really me. He breathes. He eats. On, in another passage, he cooks some breakfast and then eats with them to show that he's, he's still alive. He still has a body. He's not a ghost because um, they believed in that sort of thing. A little louder? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
I think I think that's good. What does this remind you of any other Bible passage? Creation. The story of creation. God makes Adam, the first human, out of the dust of the earth, out of the elements and minerals and atoms that were lying around that he had already created. He made Adam, and then he breathed his life into him. Now, in Hebrew, this is a really important concept because the word breath, breath, wind, and spirit are all the same word. Ruach. It means breath. It also means wind, and it also means spirit. They mean the same exact thing. And so when it says God breathed his spirit into them, into Adam, that literally meant humans now had a spirit inside of them because God had breathed into them his own spirit or the existence of a spirit inside them. And so now Jesus breathes on them in much the same way. Jesus is, um, as Paul fleshes out later when he gets more theological, Jesus is the second Adam. He's come to do it right. Um, to reset what was once made wrong, if that's quantum leap. Um, he, he's come to, to be what Adam was supposed to be, to live the perfect life and to set up um, the future of humankind. And so he breathes um, into his disciples, all of them, not just one, um, that breath, that spirit, that ruach. Um, so did they receive the Holy Spirit? He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Did they? right? Jesus doesn't usually fumble the ball, right? So if he said receive the Holy Spirit, I think they received the Holy Spirit. And so this is really important to note. Before Pentecost Sunday, believers had the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Are you with me? There's a very important distinction to make. All believers have the Holy Spirit living inside us. When we are adopted into God's family, he places us in Christ. We're crucified with him. We die and we're raised with him. That's what baptism is, is teaching us. And then he puts his spirit in us. So when we're adopted into God's family, he places his Holy Spirit in us. All believers have the Holy Spirit of God in them. Okay, This is before Pentecost Sunday. So before all the miraculous stuff starts happening and all the gifts of the Spirit and all that, before any of that, we still have the Holy Spirit inside us. Everybody with me? And this is really important because sometimes those of us who are into the supernatural stuff and who like to practice the gifts of the Spirit sometimes accidentally offend other Christians by calling ourselves Spirit-filled or something like that. And they're like, whoa, don't I have the Holy Spirit too? What's the deal? And that it can cause offense, and we don't want to do that, right? We don't want to cause offense, those of us who are um, into the gifts of the Spirit. And so it's important to understand that everybody does have the Holy Spirit. We're when we're talking about being filled by the Spirit, when Paul talks about that, when Luke talks about that, he's talking about something different. So we have the Holy Spirit, and then there's something else that happens, which is what we see in Acts 1 and 2. Um, anybody have any questions about that? Okay, let's move on. Acts 1. Flip uh, to the next book. Steve. I, he's um, he's just passing his authority over to them. And we see that in a number of different places. He does it before he dies. He does it here after he's raised. And he does it uh, uh, at least one or two more times after he's raised. Reminding them over and over again that the authority that I have, I'm giving to you. Including the authority to forgive sins from other people. 
It was huge in Jewish culture, yeah. Right, because they realized that that was more important than anything else. Like when they when the friends lower the cripple down into the house, that awesome story, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven to the guy. And then the Pharisees are all freaking out. How dare you say your sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. And he's like, okay. To show you that the Son of Man, him, has the authority on earth to forgive sins, which is easier, to say that or to say take up your mat and walk? So you, get up and walk. And God healed him. So he healed them. The miracle was to prove the authority to forgive sins, which is a more important thing. Um, it does seem kind of weird because we don't think of human beings forgiving sins, but w- it is our job to forgive each other. But it's also the job of um, the leaders of the church, people like me. We are given the responsibility of God to forgive people's sins. That's not to say that you have to go through me or someone else to get forgiven. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, but Whoever you do not forgive is not forgiven. Yeah. He does, yeah, and that's one of the burdens of leadership in the church is that he does honor that. And the reason it exists, I think, is to scare the pants off people. <laughs> because if you've got, like, let's say I'm talking to a guy and, okay, that's too real. I can't share a real story. Let's say I'm talking to a guy who um, just moved in with his girlfriend. And I'm like, do you think that's the best thing to do? And he's like, no, but God forgives me. And I'm like, all right. And then a month later, so what's going on? Oh, yeah, I'm still there. Don't you think you should maybe move out? Don't you think, you know, sleeping with your girlfriend before you're married, the Bible's pretty clear about that not being a wise thing to do, that not being a good thing to do, it being a sinful thing, in fact. Yeah, I know, I should probably do that. Yeah, I'll stop, I'll stop, I'll stop. And then a month later, I talk to him again. No, I haven't stopped. It's too fun. I don't want to stop. Okay, don't you think you should? Yes, yes, I should. You're right, you're right, I should. Talk to him a month later. Still hasn't stopped, okay? After a while, he needs to be reminded that what is happening is actually pretty serious. And so I might show him a passage like this and say, look, you're coming to me And you're just saying you can continue to do whatever you want. Paul says, don't be deceived. You can't just do whatever you want and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven on earth, but that's a different thing. So I think it exists to help scare the pants off of people because occasionally we need the pants scared off us. Yeah. So it's it's another example of him passing on his authority to the church. Because, like, the same with the authority to do miracles. He's like, all the things you've seen, even greater things than these, you're going to do yourself. I'm not doing these because I'm God. I'm doing these because I'm following the plan of God, and you're going to follow that plan too, and you're going to do all the same stuff. And he had to tell the disciples that a billion times for it to actually get through. And it still never really gets through until after Pentecost. That's when it really starts to click because the supernatural starts happening. Wait a minute. Jesus is in heaven. He's gone. And now the supernatural stuff is happening again. Oh, this changes stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And. Yep. 
It is to forgive others, but also our forgiveness from God. The Holy Spirit within us is our reminder that God has forgiven us. And it, it, it gets confusing when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. It's going to get more confusing as we go here through these passages because the Holy Spirit's a busy dude. He's doing a lot of different things, okay? He's a really busy dude. One of the things he does is he dwells within us, and that is to bring our relationship with God closer. He tries to draw us closer to the Lord our relationship with God, to remind us, help us to understand our forgiveness. He brings peace, helps us to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, sanctification. Those things are all about the Holy Spirit living within us, and that's true for every believer. Um, oh, it's it's startling, especially for a leader. Like, you know, as a, as a pastor, I can withhold forgiveness. That's kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, only with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm not saying that non-Christians can't forgive. They can, but I think there are certain things that are just too hard to forgive without without the Holy Spirit. Exactly, exactly. Right. Right, from within him, within... Yeah. Yep, exactly. Power is the key, actually, to that. Did somebody else have a hand up? Okay, let's keep going. I'm I'm sure more questions will come. Uh, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 3. I'm going to read, I don't know, 3 till maybe 9. Acts 1. This is talking about Jesus again. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So this is the ascension of Jesus. How long has Jesus been with them since the resurrection? 40 days, verse 3. So he's been with them for 40 days. That's kind of a long time. Jesus didn't just be like, hey, I'm back from the dead. Here's a couple reminders. I'm out of here. Like, he's there for 40 days. And he's teaching them. And he's reminding them things. And he is going like, remember all that stuff I said? This is what I was talking about. I was talking about my death. I was talking about being raised from the dead. These are the things. And he's illuminating the scriptures. And they're like, oh, okay, we get it now. We get it now. You had to die. And that was important. Okay. And so he's teaching them. He's showing many miraculous signs. Lots of people saw him. In another place it says 500 different people saw the resurrected Lord. And um, what does he command them to do? So his final command. Yep, well, that, that's what happens next. That's what happens because of the command. So, um, right, wait. Uh, for the promise of the Father is verse 5. 
uh, four and five. Wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. And then five, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he says, wait, because you're going to receive the promise of the Father. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, it says, so that you can be my witnesses. Um, this harkens back to John, John the Baptist, when Jesus comes to him to be baptized himself. John says, whoa, I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that was John the Baptist prophesied that. And now Jesus is prophesying the same thing. You wait here and you're going to receive the promise from the Father, that thing John talked about, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, with fire, and that will give you the power to be my witnesses. You will receive power. And so it's not a physical baptism in water. Okay, uh, the baptism in water is the baptism of repentance. We repent of our sins, and we are washed clean of our sins. That's what water baptism is about. And so people were getting baptized by John in the Jordan River. Back then, they always baptized in living water, moving water. And so uh, John the Baptist baptized people for repentance. People were, not, never did Jesus himself ever baptize somebody, but people were baptized into the name of Jesus, um, again, through water baptism. And so the, the symbol there, of course, is you are immersed fully in water and you are risen up again, and that shows the death and the new life. Um, and the word baptized literally means to immerse. You're covered in um, water, which means you're covered in th that cleanness, that newness in Christ is what water baptism is about. And that's, I'm not making any theological statements about how you should or should not baptize. Let's not get hung up on stuff like that, okay? I'm just saying what the Greek word means to immerse. Um, and so Jesus is saying that's going to happen, but it's not going to be physical water that you're baptized in. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. It's going to be fire. So it's a spiritual baptism, a second baptism, a spiritual baptism. And so baptized with water, repentance, baptism of the Spirit, power. It's for power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Everybody with me? So that you can be eyewitnesses. Not you will receive power so that you can have superpowers, because superpowers are fun. No, you will receive power so that you can be my witnesses. It's to do ministry. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling of the Spirit, whatever you want to call it, this thing that he's talking about, this thing Jesus is telling them is so important. The very first thing you have to do now after I leave is this. It's really important, because you need power. You need the supernatural power of God to do ministry. Yes. And that's, what, that, that's why this gets a little confusing. Because, yes, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Jesus had already done that. He had already breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And now he says, now wait for the Holy Spirit. Huh? What? That's weird, right? And it's because it, the difference here is the Holy Spirit within or the Holy Spirit upon. Look at verse 8. So Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit when he breathed on them in John. And they received it. They took him in. They breathed in that breath. That's the indwelling Holy Spirit which is there for sanctification, to increase our relationship with God, forgiveness, all those wonderful things we talk about. Very important. And then verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So not within you, he's already within you. But now he's coming upon you. And it says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. So it's about witnessing, it's about sharing Jesus' ministry. The ministry of Christ happens best... <laughs> and more sufficiently, through the power of the Holy Spirit himself. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we receive the power. Now, we see this throughout the Old Testament. 
throughout the Old Testament, it said, and the Spirit came upon that guy, and the Spirit came upon this guy, and the Spirit came upon this guy. Who are the, who are the folks that had the Holy Spirit come upon them? Old Testament? Prophets? Who else? Kings? Yep. Priests? Other dudes are sort of like mini-kings. Judges. Thank you. So those are the, the only people we ever see the Holy Spirit come upon in the Old Testament. Judges. The judges before, before the kings started. And so they were the special ones, okay? They were exclusively male with very few exceptions, De- Deborah being the main one. Um, there were a couple fem- female prophetesses, we think, but they're not really talked about. So they were almost exclusively male. They were typically old. And those are the only people who got the Holy Spirit put upon them. They were special people, okay? King, that's kind of a special guy. You know, the prophet, the king, the priest, special people. They got the Holy Spirit to come upon them. So that's the same thing we're talking about here. That's the same thing Jesus is talking about here. That's not the indwelling Holy Spirit. No one had the indwelling Holy Spirit under the Old Covenant. This was a big surprise. Paul later on fleshes out the fact that this was a huge surprise, that the Spirit of God himself, God Almighty, the creator of the universe, now dwells inside frail human beings, flawed, sinful human beings. That's freaking nuts. That's what Paul tries to, he spends several books explaining, this is nuts, guys. You have to appreciate how nuts this is. And all the Hebrews got it. They're like, of course that's nuts. That's even blasphemy. I don't believe it. That was, this was pe- the, um, the Jewish priest. This was their biggest problem with the early church. How dare you say God Almighty would come and live inside you? That is the biggest blasphemy in the world to them. And it's like, no, but we've been made holy through Jesus. That's why. And now we can do this. And it even says, even to the angels, this was a great mystery that God didn't tell them about beforehand, but revealed after Jesus rose from the dead. So even the angels are staring at us going, I don't get how this works. The God of the universe now lives inside you? That's too amazing, even for angels to handle. So the fact that it gets confusing to us, don't worry about it. Because <laughs> even angels are like, what? So that's a big deal. The Holy Spirit living in us couldn't happen under the new covenant. Only through what Jesus did can the Holy Spirit live in us. That under the old covenant, um, the Spirit could come upon people for power. And so they came. Yes, could leave. Especially if you ticked them off. He, he's trapped inside you. Yes, the indwelling spirit is stuck in you for your own good, which is why you can never escape God. No matter how fast you run, he's right there, which is amazing and wonderful, except when we're trying to run from him, it's probably annoying. But we can never get away because he's always with us. But we can um, lose, grieve, get rid of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Okay, so they're two separate things, within and upon. Upon happened in the Old Covenant, within did not, could not. Now within definitely happens to every single believer through Jesus Christ, but upon may or may not, based primarily on whether or not we're doing what the disciples are doing here, which is following what Jesus said. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem for this to happen. This is really important. This is the first thing I want you to do as the new church. You're not going to go build a building. You're not going to print up Jesus Saves t-shirts. You're you're not going to do whatever it is we might want to do. No, you're going to pray and wait. For me to do something. I am going to ask the Father. The Father is going to send the Spirit. Great Trinitarian passage there, right? Jesus asked the Father. The Father sends the Spirit. The Spirit does the work of Jesus, now on earth, through us, to glorify the Father. It gets confusing, but it's wonderful. Okay. Um, and so, everybody get the within versus upon difference? 
Okay. Within is for our relationship with God, forgiveness, sanctification. It's mo most important. The most important thing is the Holy Spirit within. Upon is for ministry. To go and make disciples of all nations, we want the Holy Spirit upon us to help us to do that. Okay. Not certainly not all denominations agree with the way I'm teaching this. Okay, some would say there's no difference. It's the same thing. Others would say, no, you have to have the Holy Spirit upon you or you're not even saved. Others would say, no, you have to speak in tongues or you're not even saved. And I think that is silly. <laughs> silly is the best word I can think of. Um, just because it's not in the book, okay? This is what I go by. So if it's in the book, I'm good with it. Um, and so Jesus says, wait, wait for the spirit to come upon. Okay, so does anybody know how long after? Okay, so we got Passover and then Pentecost is how many days later? Almost 50. He's been on earth though, 40 days. So Passover, cruci crucifixion, Jesus raises from the dead. He's on earth for 40 days. And now they're waiting. And now in, Luke, or in Acts chapter two, it's Pentecost Sunday. So how long since Jesus left? Quick math, 10, 9, 8. It, it depends on how you count. Jews counted differently back then, so it's probably 8 or 9. Because Jesus was dead three days, but it was Friday night through Sunday morning. How's that three days? You know, it's like 30 hours. But it's new math versus old math, okay? So um, it, on the third day, right. And so it, it doesn't matter how we count, but the way they counted is sundown starts a new day. And so it's been nine days, ten days, something like that. So they've been praying for a few days, over a week, in this upper room, again, kind of hiding from other people. They're in the temple area is where they are. There's, but they're off on their own in a room, kind of hiding. Uh, verse, I'll just read one through four again. Um, the day of Pentecost arrived. They were all together in one place. And it previously in chapter one said there's about 120 believers at that point. Okay. Now, 500 people saw Jesus when he was risen, and now we're down to 120. That's interesting. Again, maybe some of that fear. Maybe some of that, dude's getting killed around here. I'm out. Maybe they had to work. It's possible. Um, and, and that brings up a good point of the 120 were apparently here praying pretty much the whole time for over a week. That's like a really dedicated prayer meeting. That's like hardcore. And this, we're, this is true throughout the, throughout the scriptures. If you pray, God moves. If you pray more, God moves faster. If you pray a lot, God moves like crazy. And it's, I'm not going to say it's a formula, but it is, it, it is a very common theme <laughs> in scripture. Is if you want God to do something, pray. And pray more, and pray more, and pray more. Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit would come, and yet they're praying for it for like eight or nine days straight. So that's, that's commitment. That's serious prayer. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever done anything like that, had an all-night prayer vigil, or gone to a prayer meeting every week, or gone to daily prayer, or anything like that. There's a reason Christians have done that, both as a part of their structured Christianity, but also just as they feel led, because the more prayer, the more God is going to move. And sometimes if we're not praying, it sort of proves we're maybe either not that desperate for what it is we ask for, or we maybe don't trust that God's actually going to do anything if we're not willing to pray. That's not a condemnation thing. That's just an observation. Okay. So these guys are serious about prayer. This is a very long prayer meeting. I'm not saying nobody ever left the room. 
okay? But I'm saying that as a church, they've been praying for nine days, ten days, whatever it is. Um, and then suddenly, and this is how it works sometimes, they've been praying, waiting for God to move. God, why aren't you moving? What's going on? I mean, I don't know. After two hours, you might be like, when's he going to show up? How about after two days? I'm here for two days. My butt hurts on these, like, stone chairs that you got up here in the upper room. Like, this isn't cool. I got stuff to do. I got, I got fish to catch. You know, I got kids to feed. God, what's going on? You promised this. Where is it? But they keep praying. And there's a lesson there, too. When God promises something and we're really going after something of God, don't stop praying. And this is every time Jesus teaches about prayer, he teaches that. Perseverance. Persistence. Don't stop praying. I got to think that after a few days, they're like, this isn't, we heard wrong. Or he lied. Or he said something that we can't understand because he's God and we're not. But clearly nothing's happening because we've done everything we can think of. But they kept praying and they kept praying and they kept praying. And then suddenly, and that's how God works sometimes. We're doing something for so long and then suddenly the whole world changes. So suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now remember the word wind is the same word for spirit, same word for breath. And so just like Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, now we have the wind again. But this time, it's not soft breath. It's not intimate. Breathing on someone and saying, receive my breath into you, that's really like intimate. I wouldn't want some stranger doing that to me. He'd be like, dude, no. <laughs> okay? But this is Jesus, so of course they receive it. This is, this is not like that. This is a mighty rushing wind. This is a tie down the cat, something's going on kind of wind, okay? I don't know why you tie down the cat. I guess so it doesn't blow away. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, right. Well, and it says a sound like a rushing wind. There wasn't an actual wind. So it is miraculous. It sounds like a tornado's coming through the room, but the papers aren't moving. That's weird. This is unusual for a prayer meeting, okay? Um, And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, verse 3, and tongues and divided tongues as a fire. So not not tongue like this, like, you know, the top of a candle is called the tongue of fire because it looks sort of like the tongue. So it's saying tongues were um, distributed to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this is where the phrase filled with the Holy Spirit or spirit-filled comes from, is from Scripture. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there's so much stuff in this passage. Um, This is where the idea of being filled with the Spirit comes from. And again, it gets really confusing because, wait, the Spirit is already in us. And this is talking about the Spirit coming upon us. But the word it uses is filled. Not on, but filled, like inside. So it does get confusing. Holy Spirit's a busy dude. He's doing a lot of stuff, okay? So don't worry too much about the ins and outs and and the parsing of the Greek words and all that kind of stuff. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We already have the Spirit in us, and we want to be filled even more. Who wouldn't want to be filled even more of God, right? That's kind of a no-brainer. I want more of God in my life. And no matter how much God I have in my life, I want more of it. I want to be filled with the Spirit all the time. Um, Yeah, there's so much here. Okay. Let's just, let's just go for questions. Who has some thoughts on this passage? Well, I just have a comment that they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed about this was coming and about that. And here's no, where Daddy's going to be around. And I, I just thought it was 
Yeah, the spirit breaking through doesn't necessarily mean now I get my bends and my promotion and all the other great stuff I'm hoping for. God does like to bless us, but that's not what it's talking about, okay? Because like you say, here, the Spirit, Holy Spirit comes, awesome, we will all be murdered within the next few years. Now, that's not true historically for all revivals or for all times that the Spirit breaks out, but in this, for this first generation, martyrdom was the norm for Christian leaders. And they needed the Holy Spirit with them to be able to handle that. I mean, to do the work and to comfort them. But it's true that when we're saying spirit come, we can't be doing it out of selfish reasons, you know, so that you can do this or that. I'm not saying don't request things of our wonderful, loving father that you yourself need. That's important. But when it comes to the spirit coming upon us, that's for ministry. That's for outreach. That's for being his witnesses. And notice, what is the first thing they do? So they're praying, they're praying, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. All of a sudden, loud wind. I see fire on everybody's head. That's unusual. What's the first thing they do? They leave the room. They stop hiding. They're not afraid anymore. They've been afraid, remember? This whole time, they've been afraid, and they're not afraid anymore. They're bold now. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they go out there, and they start preaching about Jesus to the people who killed him, people who they were terrified to even admit that they knew Jesus. Now they're saying, that man you crucified was the son of God. And this stuff that you see right now is because he went to the father and he sent the spirit to us. That's what's happening. Like that's boldness. That's crazy. And that's what the spirit coming upon us does is it gives us that supernatural power to do and to be something that we are not in and of ourselves. Yeah. Which, it doesn't mean they stop believing in Jesus. It just means an eight-day prayer meeting is just too long, dude. I can't handle that. Which, I, I'm not judging them, you know. Um, but some of them were scared. And... Bible teacher. That's an interesting thought. Maybe 500 were there on day one. And by the time you got to the end, you're down to 120. That's kind of how I thought of it. Which isn't necessarily, it's not necessarily condemnation on those who weren't there. It's, It's just what it is. Some people are ready now to do what they're being called to do. Yeah. 
he's he's reversing that. Yep. So that's it's a reversal of the curse of Babel. Because the curse of Babel wasn't just for those dudes, it was everybody. That's when new languages came about and you know <laughs> nations started to separate and that sort of thing. So this was a reversal of that because in Christ, now all believers are one, no matter what culture or language or nation we're a part of. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But only through obedience to him. Because it's not our own will that we speak in tongues. It's only the Holy Spirit who can do that. Yeah. Yep. So I'm just going to um, end on one more thought because we're, we're getting late. Um, lo- look at the first passage, and it says in verse 4, sorry, uh, verse 3, divided tongues as a fire appeared and rested on each one of them. This, three, Acts 2, verse 3, rested on each one of them. I could write a whole book on that phrase because I think that that phrase changed the world forever because the Holy Spirit did not come upon just the apostles. He did not come upon just the leaders. I mean, surely he came upon just the old people. Young people can't handle the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't trust them with supernatural power. That'd be ridiculous, right? No, young and old. I mean, obviously not women, though. I mean, let's, if the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming upon us is to empower us for ministry and to be my witnesses, it clearly wouldn't come on women because that would be silly. This is the mindset, okay? No, 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 no. On each one, each one, young and old, men and women, Everybody. People have been walking with Jesus from the beginning, like John and James. People who just showed up at the end, like the centurion. I don't know that he was there, but let's pretend. Okay? They'd probably be even more scared if there's a centurion there, so maybe he stayed away. Um, but the point is, on each one, everybody. And this, this was a paradigm shift. This changed everything. And this, that theme is what Peter then talks about when he um, recites the prophecy from the book of Joel. Right? Yes. Right, 1920 and 21 haven't happened yet. Yeah. Yep. We're all in the last days, okay? These are the end times. These are the last days according to the Bible. But at the end of the last days, there will be a certain period of time. The, the really last days, whatever you want to call them. I mean, everything has to end, right? And so if someone's retiring, they're ending the retirement season of their life. But it is hopefully a long season, okay? But at the very end of their life, they might want to make sure certain things are in order, right? Certain things are going to happen. And so we're beginning the last days. That's the beginning of the Joel prophecy. But at the end of the last days, which could be next year, could be 2,000 more years. I have no idea. And I don't care. Because it's about doing what Jesus has called us to do now, right? Um, and so at the end end, 
the end of the last days, there's going to be stuff, mostly bad. <laughs> Jesus talks about it in Matthew. There's some here. There's some in Revelation, obviously, all that kind of stuff. And that, that's the closing chapter or the end of the closing chapter or whatever. But right now we're in the fun part. This is the end where we get to do all the fun stuff. And yes, that'll end and there will be some stuff at the end. Um, but we don't have to worry about that right now because we're not in it. Um, so we might talk about the Joel prophecy maybe next week, but this, again, reemphasizes the point. Pour out my spirit on all flesh, sons and daughters, right? Young men and old men, male servants and female servants. So God is hitting this really hard. And in Joel, it's looking forward. There's going to be a day when I'm going to pour out my spirit on everyone, every single believer, not just prophets, priests, kings, and judges. Because this is talking about the spirit upon. Back then, it was only special folks. With one exception, it was all dudes. With only a couple exceptions, it was all old dudes. Old Jewish dudes. Okay? Now it's everybody. Which is why God did this at Pentecost. Because Pentecost was one of the days where all the Jews from all the different countries traveled and came together. And, and they mentioned that here. That's why the speaking in tongues was a necessary gift at that moment. Because they have people from all these different languages. And that's to, God wanted to emphasize this. It's for all of you, no matter what country you were born in, no matter what color your skin is, no matter what gender you are, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit can now come upon everybody. Not will come upon everybody. God doesn't force himself on us. But it is a gift that we can receive. Okay? We could obviously keep going for another couple hours, but I'm going to pray and uh, let us dismiss. I know some of this stuff is confusing because the Holy Spirit's a busy dude, and he's doing a lot of stuff. But I do think it's important for us to both revel in and love and appreciate and thank God for the fact that the Spirit lives in us, because that is something hitherto unknown for people before Jesus Christ came. And I don't think people from the Old Covenant could even have fathomed that. But now that's something that I hope we don't take for granted, that this is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the temple now. That is incredibly huge. And even though we're not kings and priests, that the Spirit can still come upon us in power and in supernatural glory to do his ministry, even though we're not special. We're normal. We're just folk. And yet the Spirit wants to come upon us to do his will and to change the world and to bless that friend who's really down. And that's what we need, because we can't do it in and of ourselves. If we could help everybody in our life and set them all free, we would have done it already, right? We can't do it. God can. And God chooses. Intercession is good. Praying for those people is great. But ultimately, God chooses you to be the one to do it. He wants you to do it. That's why when, when they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, he said, pray like this. Give me bread to give to my friend. Bread being a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Give me more of the Holy Spirit and I will give it away. And that's what's happening here at Pentecost. The Spirit is coming upon people so that they can give it away. And so intercession is good. We should intercede. But more than that, we should get on our knees and say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Baptize me in your Spirit. Come upon me to empower me to be your witness and to help these people in my life. Because I can't do it on my own. Only you can do it. It's only the supernatural power of God who can help them. And I'm willing to be the one to be your hands and to be your feet. Steve.
No, Luke did. Yeah, read the beginning of Luke. Well, read the beginning of Luke. He's writing to Theophilus there as well. Luke, Luke wrote the book of Acts. more generic, but it's Greek as opposed to Hebrew. Yep. And in, in Greek, the way they titled books is, the title of the book was always the first sentence. And so looking at the first sentence of Luke's books is important because they're really, really long, and they kind of give the nutshell of the whole book. And in Acts, you'll see that it switches between, and they did this, and they did that, and we did this, and we did that. And that's because Luke traveled with Paul on some of his journeys, and then not on others. So that's why that. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you sent us the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you place your spirit in us. We thank you that you want to place your spirit upon us, and that you are willing to partner with us to be your witnesses and to bless those who were around us, and to be involved in the supernatural life that you give to your church. We're humbled by that. We don't fully understand that. And we confess that we don't seek it as much as we should. We confess that we don't wait and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And that when you do move, we confess we maybe have a tendency to just sit around and enjoy it as opposed to leave the room and go give it away. And so, Father, we thank you, but we ask you to help us. Help us to be more receptive to the work of your Holy Spirit within us, who is always working to make us both willing and able to obey you, as the scripture says. Pray that you would help us to cooperate with your Spirit, to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Pray that you would help us to humble ourselves and do that more and more, but we also pray that you would help us to receive and walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the supernatural power that you give us when you come upon us and allow us to be your witnesses. Lord, we confess we don't fully understand that. We maybe even are creeped out by it because we've maybe seen it used in a way that was bizarre or maybe even bad. But Jesus, you asked us to ask for the Father's gift. You ask us to pray for this. It's the last thing you did before you ascended. And so we do that. We ask for it, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to ask more. I pray that next Pentecost, when we're all together, we could share some stories about how the Holy Spirit moved in our lives and how the Holy Spirit moved through us. How you did things, God, through us that we never could have done by ourselves supernatural things that we never could have done or maybe even wouldn't have thought of by ourselves, but that you have done through us. I pray that you'd help us to submit ourselves more and more to you. In Jesus' name, amen.